Thanks for joining us for Life Community Church. My name is Liz, and I am the other lead pastor here at Life. And, you know, it's good to be here on this first Sunday in November. It's kind of crazy. I feel like just even thinking that we're close to another new year, it's kind of mind-boggling, right? I mean, I feel like um, just this COVID world that we're still living in, uh, feels unbelievable still at times, right? Um, 2020 for me went really slow, right? It's like all the staying at home and quarantine, everything went really slow motion. And then 2021 has felt fast, almost like I was hoping we'd be further along somehow and we're, all, we're just kind of like hoping and waiting and moving forward and now it's like almost 2022 and I'm like, where has the time gone, you know? So... It's a weird world that we are still living in and lots of adjustments and restrictions and things that we've constantly had to pivot and work around and deal with and it causes trauma and stress and all the things. Um, One of those adjustments, for instance, was last uh, month I ran the Chicago Marathon and I was reminded this morning that today is the New York Marathon. New York City Marathon. But um, yeah, so last month, it was a great day. I loved it, it was so much fun. Not all of you will understand the craziness that, uh, that is in me to want to work so hard and accomplish something like that and find joy in it. But for those of you that understand that crazy drive, I am with you. <laughs> um, so anyways, usually, uh, it, there's no restrictions, right, with the Chicago Marathon. I could have my family and friends come all the way down to the start of the race with me. Um, there's, there's no security in that kind of sense, right? Well, this year, because of COVID, um, there was a lot of security measures in place. And a day or two before the event, there is an expo. And you always have to go to the expo um, to get your race bib and you know, say that you're running the race. And, and the expo is a, a super fun thing. It's like in a conference center. Um, there's lots of vendors and merchandise and race material, like, you know, memorabilia stuff that you can buy. Super fun. You can also bring your family and friends, walk around, have a great time. Well, this year, to get into the Chicago Marathon race or into the expo, you had to bring proof of your vaccination or proof of a negative COVID test, right? And um, so you had to bring that with you as proof. And when you showed them proof, you got this tamper-proof band on you, and that was your ticket into the race. If you didn't have that, you weren't gonna go anywhere near the start line or run the race or do anything. And so usually, you go to the expo, super casual, super chill. You don't have to wait in a line. You just show up and go get your bib and walk around. No big deal. But this year, you had to stand in a line and wait to show your proof that you were clear to go into the expo. And so I stood in this line that wrapped around in one conference room and into another conference room and to another conference room. This was in McCormick Place. And over there and in that hallway, it took me two hours to get into the expo. Now, no runner <laughs> wants to stand on their feet for two hours before a race. It was like, it was just 
infuriating. <laughs> um, so I'm standing in line and standing in line. Thankfully, I had a friend who warned me the day before, bring snacks and water because you are going to be standing for a very long time. Um, so, you know, the whole time, packing for the marathon, taking the train, going there, I always was like, where's my card, right? Because if you got vaccinated like me, you have this card that's your, your proof, right, that shows the dates of your, your shots and stuff like that. So I was always like, okay, it's in my wallet, it's in this pocket, I brought my wallet, it's in this bag, you know, like I have it with me, because if I don't have it, like I'm not getting in, it's my proof, that's the ticket, I have to have it. Um, so it's always on my mind, <laughs> where was that little piece of paper um, that would get me into this race that I prepared five months for, you know? Um, so that ticket, that little piece of paper was gold. Now, we've been in this series, which I've really been enjoying personally, called Encounter, where we're looking at these stories of encounter with Jesus, right? People, groups of people, individuals encountering Jesus in the gospel stories. And some of these encounters were perplexing. People walked away confused or sad or not sure what to think of Jesus because he disrupted their worldview. He disrupted their um, practice of religion. Other people walked away healed and set free and uh, completely transformed and changed. And Jesus, he comes to us on earth proclaiming the good news of the gospel, that he, the kingdom of God is here, and he is here to establish the kingdom of God. And he's here to save us, to redeem us, to bless us, and to establish God's rule and reign on this earth. And the proof of the kingdom being here, the proof that Jesus um, used in his ministry were signs and wonders. The signs and wonders were the proof that the kingdom of God was here. Um, now, Jesus came teaching and preaching about the kingdom of God. That was like the first and foremost thing that he did was teach and preach about the kingdom. But the signs and the wonders, the miracles and the healings, were the accompaniment of the kingdom of God. They were to show the acts of the kingdom like for the crowds, for the people in real time, seeing it with their own eyes. And so a lot of these stories that we've talked about um, include signs and wonders. They include miracles. That's because the, it's proof of what God's kingdom is like and what God is like himself. That in God's kingdom, when he's in charge, it's a loving kingdom. It's full of, of grace and peace and power and joy. And that's who he is, and that's what his kingdom is like when he's in charge. You know, all these, these miracles and healings that we've talked about, it really um, points to what the fullness of the kingdom is going to be like when Jesus comes back to earth and the kingdom comes in its fullness. So this morning's story is going to include casting out a demon. And that gives us hope that, you know, Satan's kingdom and his power is broken. And it, sh and it for gives us a foretaste of what that is going to be like eternally. When we, um, when we read about the healing encounters, that is proof that 
there will be an end to all suffering. When we read about miraculous food provisions, right? We are, uh, we have a taste of the coming kingdom and how all need will be forever gone. And when we read about Jesus calming the storm and having authority over the physical earth, we know that the threats to our physical world will be gone someday. And when we read about him raising Lazarus um, up from the dead, that's proof that in God's kingdom, death will be gone forever. So these are all foretastes of the kingdom coming here on earth and then what God's kingdom will be like forever, what it will be like to be with him forever starting now. So all these um, signs and wonders and proofs of the kingdom of God, it all is stemming from this worldview that there are two kingdoms happening kind of behind the scenes of our uh, physical world that we see with our eyes, right? Satan has a kingdom too. And he is working to extend chaos and destruction at all times. And that kingdom is in opposition to the kingdom of God, which is coming to break the power of Satan's kingdom. Actually, 1 John 3.8 says this. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. Jesus came to overthrow Satan's power. And he came to set people free that are being held by Satan's influence and power in their lives. And that work continues today. It started then and it happens and goes on today. There's a great spiritual battle happening at all times, even, even if we're not aware of it, right? It's happening. It's, it's behind the scenes of life. We don't necessarily always see it clear as day with our own eyes, but we do feel its effects. Now, when we make a choice to say yes to Jesus and enter into the kingdom and start following him, you know, it's not just a get out of hell card, right? Where we just like, all right, we're good. We're going to shift into cruise control and we're good. We just like put on the good moral behavior like we're good, right? We can just sit back and, and relax. That's not what it's about. In fact, when we say yes to Jesus, and we enter into God's kingdom, it's like we get a suit of armor. And it's like, okay, suit up, because now you've entered into the spiritual battle. And it's really like the kingdom of God, in its proper context, is conflict. It's in opposition to another kingdom. So even though we like to think of it like it's just a warm, fuzzy place of God's presence, always... uh, perfect and peaceful. Yes, God's presence is peace and joy and, and all those things. But anytime God's kingdom is advancing in our own hearts and lives, in society, in our neighborhoods, it's coming in conflict. It's taking ground. That's what God's kingdom does. So we catch a glimpse of that battle today in our story. So We're going to read from Mark 1. And 
um, where I'm picking up at is verse 21. And really, this is like the beginning of Jesus's ministry that Mark starts talking about. So the only thing that's happened, like he talks about Jesus's baptism, Jesus going to the wilderness, and him calling his disciples. And then he's coming on the scene right here in verse 21. So this is the beginning of his public ministry. Uh, so we're going to read through uh, verse 39. You can follow along on the screen. There's going to be several screens. And I think that my version that I'm reading is different, so I'm, I apologize about that. It says, Jesus and his companions went to the town of Capernaum. When the Sabbath day came, he went into the synagogue and began to teach. The people were amazed at his teachings, for he taught with real authority, quite unlike the teachers of religious law. Suddenly, a man in the synagogue, who was possessed by an evil spirit, cried out, Why are you interfering with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus reprimanded him, Be quiet. Come out of the man, he ordered. At that, the evil spirit screamed, threw the man into a convulsion, and then came out of him. Amazement gripped the audience, and they began to discuss what had happened. What sort of new teacher is this, they asked excitedly. It, it has such authority. Even evil spirits obey his orders. The news about Jesus spread quickly throughout the entire region of Galilee. After Jesus left the synagogue with James and John, they went to Simon and Andrew's home. Now Simon's mother-in-law was sick in bed with a high fever, and they told Jesus about her right away. So he went to her bedside, took her by the hand, and then helped her sit up. Then the fever left her, and she prepared a meal for them. That evening, after sunset, many sick and demon-possessed people were brought to Jesus. The whole town gathered at the door to watch. So Jesus healed many people who were sick with various diseases, and he cast out many demons. But because the demons knew he, who he was, he did not allow them to speak. But before daybreak the next morning, Jesus got up and went out to an isolated place to pray. Later, Simon and the others went out to find him, and when they found him, they said, everyone's looking for you. But Jesus replied, we must go on to other towns as well, and I will preach to them too. This is why I came. So he traveled throughout the region of Galilee, preaching in the synagogues and casting out demons. So that, that's where we're at this morning. Jesus, I mean, Mark is putting Jesus's authority on display here throughout this uh, passage. He's showing us first, you know, that Jesus has authority over truth. He's teaching differently than they've ever seen before. Te he's teaching as one who has authority. Then we see that Jesus has authority over the spirit realm. He's casting out a demon mid-teaching. And then we see that he has authority over physical bodies, and he heals um, people. So we see Jesus' authority on display here in Mark. And Mark's gospel actually has the most recorded signs and wonders. So if you want, I mean, you just keep reading Mark and you just keep seeing it on display, the kingdom of God. 
But Jesus' initial purpose here is to come and teach. That's what he did. So he is in Capernaum, and it's um, the Sabbath day, which the Sabbath day is a day of rest and worship. And so on the Sabbath, people go to the synagogue, which is, you know, kind of like this, a community center, a place of study and teaching. And the synagogue leaders, it was common for them to invite uh, a traveling rabbi or teacher to come to the synagogue and, and teach on a Sabbath. So Jesus comes to teach on the Sabbath. And he is teaching in a way that people have never heard before. So if you were a rabbi, it meant that you were a teacher of the law, right? So the Old Testament, the law of Moses, you were interpreting the law and applying it. And as a rabbi, you would never speak on your own authority. You would never speak your own thoughts or opinions. You're always referencing someone else, right? You're referencing um, an expert rabbi. You're referencing Moses, right? You're always referencing someone else. But Jesus comes, and he is not referencing anyone. He is teaching like he knows the source, that like the source is in him, right? He is speaking with his, with his own uh, authority. And I, I can't even really imagine what that would be like. But it's intriguing to me to think sitting in the audience and always listening to some teacher, you know, doing his best to kind of interpret the law and tell us what to do. And then here comes this person who has just, just like markedly something different, like, like he knows God, like he has been with him, like maybe he is God. You know, like Moses, when he came down and his face would radiate so brightly, people couldn't look at him because he had been with God. I mean, Jesus came and just like illuminated people's hearts because he taught so differently. It was probably, you know, people would just wonder in awe at what was this guy saying and how could he say these things? And they're, they're, they're stirred. They're stirred up in their, in their spirit. Dan and I met um, when we were 18, college freshmen, uh, third day of college orientation. And right away, I, I thought, we're going to be friends. Like, we just had, like, an instant connection. And one of those things that drew me to him um, charming good look no it was that he was funny <laughs> I thought he was super funny and um he always had like the right thing to say it was just fun to be around him he had jokes all the time he just made made me feel you know at ease at peace good and then you know um we started dating our second semester we finally decided like it's time to say what we're doing hanging out a lot just the two of us we went to a Christian college, so, you know, it was one of those kind of challenging things to navigate, dating, and yeah. Anyways, um, we would hang out and watch movies that, you know, that Dan liked that I hadn't seen yet or whatever, and as I started watching some of Dan's favorite movies, I started noticing, like, that sounds familiar. Where have I heard that from? And then we watched something else. I was like, that line sounds familiar. You, you've said that before, haven't you? And then we watched something. I'm like, wait a second. I'm noticing a theme here. I think a lot of your material comes from these movies that I am now getting uh, in touch with. 
Now, I will confess that I'm not so great at pop culture and movies and actors, just not my bread and butter. So I'm sometimes at a loss. Now, somebody else uh, might have picked up on his uh, content a lot sooner than me and would have been smart. But I felt duped. I felt like, this is not original material that you've been telling me. You have got to come up with some original content that isn't just these movie lines. Um, so anyways, it's kind of a running joke for us. But Jesus, his, uh, he was original. He was the real deal, right? He was no longer referencing the experts or Moses. No, he was coming to fulfill all the things that has been said about him. And it was evident that he was teaching with authority and he was putting truth on dazzling display. He was just putting the, his father on dazzling display in a way that people had never heard before. And then he came performing these miracles, these healings, the casting out of demons to prove that God's presence was really here with him. So Jesus, he's in the middle of teaching a phenomenal sermon. Everyone's on the, the edge of their seat listening to him. And then all of a sudden, he's interrupted by a man shouting, What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Now, full stop, I, I would be a little disrupted by that. Probably everyone was unnerved by that. Here is this voice, this man. They've never heard of his voice before. Who is he? What's happening? And why is there a demon in the synagogue in the first place? That's an interesting thing to ponder. But right away, we see that there is spiritual opposition to Jesus' authority on truth right away. And it's straight forward at him. And it rec the, the demons recognize who he is and his mission and what he's doing. And it, it, um, it kind of shows us that there might be several demons in this one man because what it says, it says, um, have you come to destroy us? So this man might have several demons in him. And they recognize Jesus' authority. They say that he's the Holy One of God. And it seems like they recognize that Jesus' teaching also demands a response. Like either you, you, your heart says yes to him in faith or you walk away judged because they ask, have you come to destroy us? They know what's happening in the supernatural realm. But they also are trying to control Jesus by naming him. So in the ancient world, which was much more aware of the spiritual world, familiar with the spiritual world than, than we are, because quite honestly, we're, we're very intellectual, rational. You know, we like to see and feel and touch what, what is real, right? The, the spiritual realms can sometimes be lost on us, and even we can act like it doesn't exist, right? Um, we're skeptical sometimes of its existence and it, its activity in daily life. But the ancient world believed that if you could name the spirit that was 
oppressing you or afflicting you, if you could name that spirit, then you could control it. And if you could name a higher spirit, you could get that spirit to do your bidding. You could control that spirit. So these demons are trying to name Jesus and control him by naming him, which is a form of witchcraft. And, you know, it's really interesting because we see a similar story of this in Acts 19, which really, sometimes these stories just like boop in and out of the Bible, and you're like, have I ever read that before? This one kind of feels like that. Um, So in Acts 19, the early church, God is doing extraordinary miracles through the hands of Paul. And then meanwhile, on the side are these Jewish exorcists that are also trying to do amazing things through the name of Paul and through the name of Jesus. But they don't have a relationship with Jesus. They don't have true faith. So um, in Acts, uh, let's see, 19, it says, they would say, they're trying to do, perform exorcisms. They say, in the name of Jesus, whom Paul preaches, I command you to come out. And one day an evil spirit actually answers them. And says, Jesus I know, and Paul I know, but who are you? And then the man who had the evil spirit, who they were trying to cast out the evil spirit, jumped on the Jewish exorcists, overpowered them, beat them, and they ran out of the house naked and bleeding. Can you believe that? That's insane. That's crazy stuff. They were trying to manipulate Jesus' power for their gain without actually having true faith, which is witchcraft. And then what happened is they get overpowered. They, I mean, I don't even know what happened, but these demons were made this man physically strong enough that they beat the crap out of him, them. And they were so badly beaten that they're bleeding and naked and fleeing the, the house. Crazy. So we can't just wield Jesus's power to do whatever we want. We can't do that. We can't just attach Jesus's name to uh, whatever we want to be done and say it, manipulate Jesus like that. We have power because we have true faith in Jesus. And Jesus used God's power through intimacy with the Father. He didn't lean in his, into his divinity to cast out these demons. He leaned into the intimacy that he had with the Father. He had unbroken intimacy with the Father, and he knew what the Father was doing, and he had authority, and he could use the power of the Holy Spirit to perform these signs and wonders to show the kingdom of God had come. So he was able to release the kingdom of God rightly. Jesus' authority was rooted in his intimacy with the Father. Now, if you remember, so he casts out the demons, he heals Simon's mother-in-law, then all the town, the entire town comes out to him, and he continues healing, casting out demons, And then what does he do the very next moment he has an opportunity? He got up and went out to an isolated place to pray because that's where his power came from. 
was intimacy with the Father. And all Jesus needed to do in this scenario um, with the demon was speak two commands. He said, be quiet and come out. And just like that, this evil spirit obeyed. He had to flee. Jesus has authority. We see he has authority when he speaks creation into being. His words have truth and authority above all created things, even the spirit realm. So when we believe Jesus and we say, yes, you can be the Lord of my life. I want to follow you. You know what? We get his power because he deposits the Holy Spirit in our inner being. And the Holy Spirit is the power of God. And the Holy Spirit is the one that directed Jesus on earth and gave him that power along with the Father working inside of him. And this is what Jesus does. He gives us his same power and authority. We see it in his disciples. So later on, he calls his disciples together and he gives them, Luke 9, 1 through 2 says, and gave them power and authority to cast out all demons and to heal all diseases. And then he sent them out to everyone to tell everyone about the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. So he gives us the same power and authority to teach, to share about God, and to heal and to cast out demons. And this was kind of the beginning of the way Jesus' followers worked, right? These were the disciples early on. But then after Jesus' death and resurrection and ascension, he gives this power to all believers. This, is what, this was like the beginning deposit, and then it, it spread like wildfire. So he tells uh, the remaining disciples, um, after, before he goes into heaven, he tells them, wait. Wait in Jerusalem because I'm going to clothe you with power, right? I'm going to fill you with the indwelling Holy Spirit. And that's exactly what happens. So Acts 1.8, he says, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere, in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. So when you became a follower of Jesus in the early church, it was normal for you to receive this power and authority and the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, and you just lived in that. You lived it out. It was the, it, a way in which you followed Jesus was living in your power and authority as a believer. You became a citizen of this kingdom of God, and you went around telling other people about Jesus, telling other people about God was doing what he has done, what he is doing, what he's going to do what he's like, and then you released the kingdom into people's lives by healing them. This is the same power that we receive when we follow Jesus. And Ephesians uh, 1, 19 through 23 is a great little um, snapshot of this. It says, I also pray that you will understand the incredible greatness of God's power for us who believe him. This is the same mighty power that raised Christ from the dead 
and seated him in the place of honor at God's right hand in the heavenly realms. Now he is far above any ruler or authority or power or leader or anything else, not only in this world, but also in the world to come. God has put all things under the authority of Christ and has made him head over all things for the benefit of the church. And the church is his body. It is made full and complete by Christ, who fills all things everywhere with himself. God's power works in and through us. That's why we have ministry time at the end of service, because we want to impart whatever teaching has been taught on Sunday morning in further into our spirits, further into our hearts. We really believe, like, we want God to go into every area of our lives. And we believe that reading God's word and spending time with him, that releases his truth in our life. Reading scripture is a powerful practice. Worshiping is a powerful practice that releases a greater revelation of his, of his presence in our life. And praying for people releases the kingdom in people's lives. That's why we practice, that's why we read, that's why we worship. We want to see God's kingdom touch every area of our lives because we can all be held captive by Satan and the works of the enemy. We can all be held captive um, by broken relationships, emotional pain. We can all be held captive by um, physical sickness, social structures, even demon possession like today. Now, different encounters I've had um, with the enemy and that it has created fear initially on in my journey, right? I was very fearful of the enemy and the spirit realm. But as I was equipped and shown that I have the power to say the one who is in me is greater than he who is in the world, and I know that all I have to do is claim that authority, speak it out loud, it has to obey Jesus. And so as I became more equipped and confident in releasing that power, it's not fearful for me anymore. But it can start that way. It can be that way. And that's, that's, an in, that's what he wants, right? He wants to intimidate us and shut us down, to not use the power and authority that we've been given as our inheritance in following Jesus. So that's why we pray for one another after service, right? And the way that we pray for one another is a, a prayer model that has been passed down to us for many years in the Vineyard Movement. And it's just a way that we partner with God's presence and release his, his love and his, um, his kingdom over other people. It's a relational way of praying. You know, when you come to receive prayer, there's always like a little interview at first, right? So we'll ask, like, you know, what do you need prayer for? And... And as you're telling us what you need prayer for, we're also listening to God and trying to have this two-way conversation and, and listening to your need and listening to what God's doing and what he wants to do in that moment. And we're listening for the Holy Spirit the same way Jesus is listening 
to God and what he is doing, and he's doing what he sees his father's doing. We want to do that. We don't want to just pray what we think needs to be happened and fill it with lots of words and some kind of formula. There's, there's none of that. We're not trying to look super spiritual. We just want to be simple and obedient to whatever God says and do it. And so we try to pray like that, and we try to listen like that. And so then we might ask, you know, can we, can we put our hand on you? And we believe in laying on of hands, that, that that is just a way to release God's kingdom. And so we, we lay hands on you, and we, we ask for what you want, and then we start praying in this way that's like, okay, God, would you come? Holy Spirit, would you come? You're already here, but can we just have a greater revelation of who you are in this moment for this person. And sometimes we wait because it's okay to wait for God to put something in your brain. Again, we're not trying to fill the space with all this spiritual stuff that we're trying to say, right? So there's no agenda. We're trying to wait for God's presence to be felt, and we're trying to wait and listen to what he has to say. And then we pray and maybe another person prays, and we wait, and we pray. And then we check in, and, you know, what is God doing with you? Is that resonating with you? Did he give you any greater insight? And so it's just kind of this relational way of praying and releasing God's kingdom. And sometimes crazy things happen, and people get healed. And sometimes it's like, oh, but I don't, yeah, yeah the pain is still the same. So we say, okay, let's, well, let's keep praying. Or maybe we'll say, we'll pray again next week, or... You know, let's follow up. Let's keep praying. Because the thing about this power and authority and releasing God's kingdom, it takes engagement. It takes us participating in it. It's just not like a one and done, let's just wheel God's power over here. And like we have to, our hearts have to be in it. It's how Jesus did it with unbroken intimacy with the Father. It was a hunger. It's from hunger and thirst to see God work and move and to participate and practice and, and do it again and do it again and do it again. And so Jesus invites us to participate in releasing his kingdom in the same way, teaching about God and seeing his kingdom released in people's lives. So I'm changing my uh, practical tips to call to action because I feel like I, I'm not just trying to give you little quibs to take away and poop to do. I really want like to see us all grow, right? That's my heart. Um, so my first call to action, I'm going to have to even train myself to say it differently, uh, is how can you pursue continuous intimacy with the Father this week? So what's the, what's the best way for you to do that? That was the model of Jesus' life, this inner life aligned with God's will. And that's where he saw the kingdom advancing, this, this intimacy with the Father. So how could you pursue that continuous intimacy with the Father? I stumbled upon, like, Facebook, metrics or whatever, somewhere in the, you know, dark spaces of Facebook, they show you, like, how many times you pull up the app and click on it, and anyways, 
I was shocked, and I said, I'm done. <laughs> this is, I, if anybody else did something 50 times a day, that would be an addiction, right? So, or I won't even tell you. I, I'm not even sure it's right. It's said a lot of times. <laughs> um, but I was frustrated that, that my mind in places of lull and and nothing to do, or even just wanting a break from the mental strain of life, right? I go to something that's easier, that can kind of just feel good for a second, that can just take me out of wherever other space I'm at in life. And, I mean, do I think about the Father 50 times a day, 100 times a day? That's, that's shocking and eye-opening to my spirit. It's not, it might not be your problem, <laughs> but I'll just confess what was uh, shocking to me this week. And where else could you step out in participation? Where do you feel him nudging you? Because sometimes it's so gentle and so quiet and so easy to just dismiss. And, oh, that's just my thought, or God's not really asking me to do that, or that person, it's okay if I don't pray for them. It's so easy to dismiss. We want to be people that obey Jesus and obey his promptings. Not in a way to perform or pressure, but just in a way to, to follow the intimacy of the Father. As we're intimate with him and he invites us to do stuff, we say, okay, I trust you, I'll go out and do that. Yes, Lord, I'll do it because I love you. So think about these things that week, this week, <laughs> and um, we're going to move into our time of worship. At Life Community Church, we want you to experience the powerful, life-changing love of God. To learn more, go to lifemohammed.org, lifemohammed.org.